Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Subscribe on iTunes at Toddcast Podcast. All right. There he is. How are you? Right on, man. I'm good. How are you? You know, better than some, not as good as others. Exactly. Well said. Well said. Well, thank you for taking some time here uh, to join the Toddcast podcast in Vancouver, Canada. Vancouver? I've been there before. Oh, nice, man. Yeah. Great city, hey? Yeah. Did a... Yeah. So oh, what would you, for, what would you prefer yeah. I, I call you? Xavier? Mr. Uh, no, like whatever, whatever you whatever's natural to you. I don't really do all that stuff. Like all right, cool, cool, man. Well, uh, Xavier, thank whatever you for flows. thank you for, for, for joining us here. So, uh, you know, it's on everybody's mind. How could it not be? Uh, how was uh, your world through COVID? Like, did you manage to get by it uh, unscathed? Like, talk about a couple crazy, crazy years and and how that affects yeah, well, uh, bands like you. Well, I. You know, I came out of it uh, bigger, faster, stronger, smarter, um, more grateful. I don't know about bigger. I just, that sounded good. Sounds good, though. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> I'm bigger. Faster, stronger. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I came out really better. Yeah, and uh, I was going to say, because I've talked to a lot of people during uh, during the pandemic, that have said that it not only did it stifle their creativity, it made it so that they didn't even want to create at all. But clearly that's not the case with you as you've got a new that album coming it. out in June, man. Yeah, I went nuts. Well, I mean, I started off, finished my third album, released it. You know, won like my third Grammy in a row. So I was like, gosh, man, I got to do something different. You know, um, I got to... Let me, I gotta remain an artist. So the first thing I did is I thought, well, I'm gonna do a, a duet with about 12 artists that I used to listen to when I was a kid. Like, and the first band I thought of was The Police. So I hit up Sting and Sting comes over here to my studio and we recorded a song that we both thought, this is cool. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna get Stevie Wonder, George Clinton, whoever I can get, you know. Come on, so you're, putting, you're putting together this wish list of like, who can I get to studio? Yeah. So then about a couple of days later, pandemic hits. And that was it. So that for the next year, I did like everyone else, just kind of tried to figure out what was the next move. And then um, I got a call to go to Atlanta to do a TV show. And that was great because there weren't really any gigs. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I'll do that show. Hell yeah. I do the show and then I end up in a hotel room with a laptop quarantined because there's no vaccination during that time. And I discovered that I'm 28% white. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, basically, yeah, basically that's what happened. I mean, I get these ancestry links that someone had sent me. And you know, I saw these pictures on my mother's maternal side of these well-dressed African-Americans. So I'm thinking, 
isn't this the time of slavery? Like, why are you well-dressed? Right. Makes no sense. So you, I'm digging through the files. You ever been on there? No, I, no, not me personally. No, I haven't. But I've got yeah. buddies who have done it. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, it's, you know, I see this paperwork. It says registered free Negroes. I'm like, registered free. How did that happen? You know, I'm going to third generation, fourth generation, which is unheard of for us because how we got here. Sure. Fifth generation. Sixth generation. Now I'm like, come on, man. This is, I keep retracing it back till it gets to a paper in the seventh generation. One document, and then there's a name of a woman. It says Elizabeth Gallimore presented in Amelia County Court for unlawfully cohabitating with a Negro slave belonging to Henry Jones, you know, Virginia. And I thought, wow, these are probably exactly the people that I'm related to, you know, rule yeah. breakers. Yeah. yeah, yeah, breakers. And, and and as you're going back through time and going through history, is it kind of the same? Like, because you're what one of fifteen kids or something like that? Did fourteen, remember, right? one of fourteen. Dude, that's insane. Well, has, has it actually always now historically 15. been like that? Like, did you have a big family going back that way as well? Do you know? I did. I was running into a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, there were, there were large families on. Yeah, my mother's maternal side. Yes, and you know, I. I understand why people did it back then. By the time I did it, my dad was just old. Yeah. My mom was young. My dad was 33 years older than my mom. Oh, so, wow. So, yeah, he was 63. She was 30 when I was born. So, oh, okay. Okay. He, wow. he, didn't need, he didn't need much motivation. <laughs> sure enough. <laughs> Guess what we're doing tonight? <laughs> That's great. It, and, like, from, the, from, this, the, from your siblings, like, how many are also musically inclined. And like, where did you get that from? Well, you're asking good questions because none of them are musically inclined. So wow. I always wondered where I got it from. And I found the group of people that I got it from, which have nothing to do with the story. I just found like, oh, there's a whole batch of musicians right there. And they live in um, Montreal. Okay. Of all places. There's an uh, artist named Pierre Propal that I'm related to. And he was like a um, nightclub singer in Montreal in like the 50s and 60s. And so yeah, it's just, um, you know, all the things my dad was trying to hide from me, it's right there on the internet. Yeah. So yeah, so I get this story and I just get so inspired. You know, the idea that, you're talking about the mid 1700s, the idea that a white Scottish indentured servant woman was you know, basically free would choose as her partner a black enslaved man who happens to be my grandfather. I just thought it was the most punk rock shit ever, you know? And I thought like, yeah, that feels like, I I've, I understood myself, I, I'm telling you, I'm not exaggerating, probably more on a more a profound visceral level than I ever had in my life. I just said, oh God. I get it now, you know, I'm always over here to the left and I don't want to follow, you know, the what and conform and follow rules. And yeah. my whole punk aesthetic comes from my seventh generation grandparents. So yeah, that lit, I just was like, okay, put all those sting, all that stuff on the side. I, I'm inspired, you know, which is the greatest thing for an artist, man, when you get inspired. And well, of course so I went in, just started recording and it was kind of like a speeding freight train. I 
I kind of stayed out of the way and just got on it. And it took me to places that I could have sonically didn't know I had in me. Songs That's like I think so like, cool, dude. Yeah, like You Better Have a Gun or Venomous Dogma or Virginia Soil. They were just places I hadn't really been before. So it was um it was pretty unbelievable. A true do, like what is that? I still go like what the fuck is that? Like I don't even know what it is, but I liked it. I'm like, this is weird, man. So it was yeah. good to it was really good to just let it happen, man. And I really needed it. And I think the message of like what I like about this story is here we have uh, two people. One's as white as they can be. One's as black as they can be. But the, and from two sides, of, different sides of the spectrum, but they got something done. And I thought, mm, I like that. They actually achieved something. Whereas I kind of feel like, especially here in the States, it doesn't seem like we can get anything done. Like we are, very entrenched in our um, respective ideologies and we don't, we seem to not budge. So that's what I liked about the story. Yeah, no, it's a great story, dude. Great story. You're mentioning uh, the, the Grammy wins. Like you're not only like the reigning, the defending, the twice <laughs> defending. You what, know, three the, times, three. Well, that's what I mean. You're the reigning, the first. Yeah, 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 yeah. Depending again, you're three in a row. So yeah, three four in a row, row now like, with with uh, with white Jesus black problems coming out June third. I don't think they want to announce that title at the Grammys. <laughs> <laughs> you, you clearly are thinking of the Grammys at this point, like. Oh, I mean, that's all I was thinking about. Yes, yeah, a like, four peat, right? Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. So, so, I mean, so tell us about how how do you find out about the the Grammy wins? Like, who tells you this stuff? Well, you get nominated and then people vote and then you find out when everybody else finds out. And no, I think you I find out in advance, really? No, absolutely not. Oh, I didn't know that. You don't, yeah, know. you don't find out in advance. You the, Right there, you find out. So first of all, about the Grammys, it's great. It's um, But I think every time I've made an album, I've been surprised. I go, okay, well, I'll go. Remember the first album was like what it was, very like poetic, this urban poetic landscape of this blues kind of feeling thing. And I thought, well, it's time to turn the guitars up, boys. And I made second album. People are, they were like, oh my God, what are you doing? Is this a rock record? I remember because of Plastic Hamburgers. And then I think with the third album, it was just a complete turn away from that. So I'm always just going like where I think I'm needed. Mm. And I'm trying to push. I'm I'm always trying to push, and I'm always surprised at the Grammy thing. I'd be like, well, just like now, I'm feeling like, well, I think I picked the topic they don't want to talk about. Everybody's uncomfortable. I've I've gotten hate mail already from from black people and white people. You know, wow. So that's cool. I mean, I feel like yeah, it's I just you can't think of the Grammys, man. I you just you can't really be an artist and and think of it. I can't. It's something that, like, you get it for one day, you got it, you look at it, invite friends over, everyone has drinks and food, and then you put it away. And I don't mean on the shelf, I mean you put it away. Yeah. Because you just don't want to be thinking about that, man. I waited this long to become a, an artist, and my, being a middle-aged guy, I mean, going out on the street playing, I, and I, it's fun to be an artist. There's no... Why would I ruin it by like getting like the industry in my head? 
I'm an old guy who gets to do what he wants. It's 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 not bad, you know. <laughs> no, of course not. It's not bad at all. And, and where does like winning a, a Grammy, multiple Grammy awards, where, where does that sit in like uh you know the career highlights? Can you nail it down to one career highlight? I think for me, and I'm being, I don't think of the Grammys as career highlights. I think the career highlight um, is finding yourself, man, and finding your place. I, I, I can't tell you, man, what that means to a human being, you know, being in your 20s and 30s and chasing it all the time and trying to get validated by this machine that never recognizes you. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jimmy Iovine did give me my first deal. I, I was recognized, but... Through uh, Interscope, yeah. That, that's Xavier. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, yeah. but that can beat a person up. After, you know, 20 years of chasing that thing, I just gave up. Mm. And I think my career highlight was quitting, regaining my humanity, yes. And then, you know, as a 46-year-old dude going out, into the train stations, into the cafes, and just being extremely genuine and truthful to something that was calling me and not asking for anyone's permission, like, am I good enough? Or trying to, you know, live up to their repressed fantasy of how, you know, artists fit into the world. So I think that really is it. It's like, I can't tell you as a guy that's 54 now to be able to, you know, just you do, your, it's like being a, grandfather and a teenager in the same body i get to really <laughs> be truthful and if i think the grammys is my highlight then i'm i failed and i resort back to being the guy that was looking for it the beauty is you're not looking for it the beauty is um it that finds you. it finds you and you go where you need to be and um yeah you're not asking permission which is it's just a beautiful place for an artist and to not get stuck into that, that machine and worry about, Oh my God, do I have a hit? Am I going to have followers? Is this like, that's <laughs> to me, that's, that's lunacy. Yeah. And it just takes that. up space in your mind. So I, I get to be this middle-aged guy that makes these fun albums. Yeah. Well, what was the music like in your house as a kid growing up? It's probably like my music now, all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Extremely eclectic and, you know, from jazz to um, classical, African, Caribbean, um, you know, this very white radio that I would hear in Massachusetts. Like, oh, it's kind of rock stuff, you know, to the deep funk that I would hear occasionally because all this music was banned from the house. So, and, and then at 12, I ran away. So then I was in other people's houses. Right. I was in like foster homes and those houses were all traditional African-American gospel, jazz, blues, funk, soul, forget it. Forget about it. Uh, okay. Okay. So, so, so it was a very, was, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. What was the first concert that you went to then? Very good question. First concert I went to, remember I'm 54, guys, so don't laugh. I would have to say it was NWA in a roller skating rink. No way. I swear to God, Dr. Dre, Eazy-E. Wow. 
It's either that or run. It may have been Run DMC, but the the NWA one. That's a cooler answer, probably. It was in Pretty eighty-eight, good. 1988, San Leandro roller skating rink. NWA with about fifty kids. <laughs> Crazy, that's, right? Yeah, wow. that's the one that I remember. But I'm, you know, there's been other ones. I'm, but that's what I'm officially saying. Like, yeah, wow, yeah. It was, it was, it had a very punk rock aesthetic because that's kind of hip hop was on the fringe, and so at that time, still, yeah, it weren't they they people they were not mainstream yet. Very cool. Yeah, so that was the. But you know, I loved everything, man. You know, I um, there used to be the place called the Gilman where I'd go see a bunch of punk bands. I didn't know the name. You know, you wouldn't know the names of them. You know, Acid Rain. You know, I was, I would go to like People's Park in Berkeley and trip out. You know, with psychedelic rock. I mean, that's the beauty of growing up in the eighties. There was everything. Everything was right there, man, and it was um such a beautiful time. So I think I was influenced by everything. I think it shows in my songwriting and music production. Yeah, for sure. And is it true that you, you snuck into Berkeley College of Music and that's how you, dude, that's well, a, I think a badass that, story. Like you sneaking into school to learn something like that's, that's that punk, man, right there, yeah, that's punk. Let me make a correction. It was UC Berkeley because I live in the Bay Area. Okay. So it wasn't the Berkeley in Boston. Boston. No, was in the Bay Area. And yeah, you know, it's funny. The people, I, w- I just came back from a press tour in Japan, Italy, France. I'm like kind of jet lagged still. And that's like one of my most asked questions. I, I was, I never thought when I was doing that as a teenager that that was incredible, but it's an incredible, later on it became. Dude, it's a great folklore. story, man. Are you kidding me? Yeah, no, I would just, I just wanted to learn. And where I was living, there was guns and drugs. And I was like, well. Not gonna learn here, so I would go. You see, Berkeley. I remember I had like a shirt like this and a sweater, yeah. and I'd you know, hello, I'm here to practice, and they give you this huge key, and you go in, and I just sit there, and I was like, I don't know what this is. It's a, and I'd like touch it, but then I would listen to what the person next to me was doing, and they were just scales. I just I didn't know what scales were. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's that's why that's why I really that was my musical education. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, Xavier, I want to respect your time. I'm not sure, honestly, how much time I have with you. So, uh, no. Are, are you are you good for me to pound through some, yeah, some more questions? I think that what happens, they just come in and, and do like this. And okay, perfect. Well, let's do that then. So let's get outside of music then for a quick sec here. What do you What are you binge watching right now? What do you What do you like? Can't get enough of. Oh, you mean on on TV? TV oh, stuff, yeah. What am I binge watching? Um, I don't know if I'm binge watching it, but I think I'm just kind of. Dabbling, I'm guilty of, uh, I have to say it, I have been listening to the, let me set it up first. I have been watching, or I would say listening to the uh, Johnny Depp trial, and I'm going to tell you why. I couldn't sleep when I was overseas, and something about Johnny Depp's voice, like he kind of stutters and all that, was putting me to sleep. I'm not making this up. So I would just put it on, he talks for hours, and I'm just, it was very good to get to sleep because I do listen to podcasts and stuff to help me sleep because I have a lot of trouble sleeping. So I've been 
Mm. So since I've been overseas, I want to say I've been guilty of listening to that because Johnny Depp, man, the, his cadence. And I, you know, I, I never knew him as a guy that stopped and then kind of stuttered. And he does this thing and it's just like, yeah. And so it was beautiful. Thank you, Johnny Depp. I made it to all my interviews because he, he put me to sleep. Um, in terms of Netflix and stuff and, and Amazon, I'm just getting back home. And I was, um, was actually watching this thing called, let me say the right, say it correctly, Sezo. And he's a uh, South African soccer player that was um, murdered right mm. in his house. And I've been kind of binge watching episodes of that. It's absolutely fascinating. Like, you know, South Africa, it's just this completely different world from, you know, the world that we know. And it's just, just it's been interesting. So yeah. I've been on that. Yeah. You're a big fan of sport? Like, what's your team? What's your, what's your sport? You know, I don't. You know what happened to me, man? I used to follow sports to the letter. Basketball, baseball, football, boxing, fighting. But you know what? I had a kid. Mm. And it, I suddenly just stopped watching all that stuff. And I, I you know, he's older now. He's a, just turned into a teenager. But I got into that habit of not watching that stuff. And uh, I think I dragged him out to a Warriors game before I went to Europe. But yeah. You know, nothing that I'm like following, man, anymore. I'd, but I, I used to be that dude. Yeah, no, I was that dude for the same thing, right? Essentially, once kids come into the picture, it's like, holy shit, right? time is cut in half. Oh, it's cut in quarters. Oh, my God, I can barely do shit I like now. Yeah, and the thing that made me go to the Lake Warriors game is he was interested. I was like, whoa. There you he go. He starts talking to me about basketball, and I was like, oh, shit. All right, let's yeah. get back on that. But, you know, it's... It's cool. It's healthy if you got time. Yeah. Have Have you seen that? Uh, speaking of binge watching, I was watching it uh, just a couple nights back. The Summer of Soul. Oh, that, I saw that on an Dude. airplane. Just oh, brilliant. It's like you know, got to be know, one of the best you know music documentaries ever made. Ever. I mean, I have to say this, man. I for we forget what black music contributed to the world. Basically, you can just take. Totally. What was happening on that stage, and so many people were influenced. So many bands. Rage. You look at Rage Against the Machine back there. Just that totally. idea just grew. Well, even Zeppelin. You know yeah, how, how, how many how many riffs riffs did they fucking straight up steal? Well, the thing about Black Zeppelin, what I, what I love about Led Zeppelin is that I think they when they did it, especially I met Robert in person, that they were always very complimentary about doing and i say that about the stones too you know i i love when keith richard was like man i i stole every chuck berry riff there was i think it's great and good that he did and i say good that people do steal i steal from all the best too in a way that i mean i wouldn't want to say steal exactly but just the Oral. influence and yeah. yeah and i think it's it's a it's a it's a good thing but you got to give credit and i i think led zeppelin did I remember when I met Robert Plant, the first word out of his mouth was, he's like, Cy Stone and Johnny Guitar Watson, man, that's where it was at, you know? And then you take look at Rage, I mean, they he's influenced by Jimmy Page, and it's, I think, I think it's all right, man, but we got to give credit, though, that you're 100% right on, but yeah. I mean, I think it's, when I think of, that's what I thought of, I was like, wow, black music, oh my God, like the, 
just so powerful, you know, and it's like it gave birth to so many genres and influenced so many folks. And it's, uh, I think it's beautiful. It's a beautiful part about being, being an American. Kind of, you know, with my story of my ancestors, you know, it's like, wow, that's beautiful that we got together and, and we all touched each other. And this group got influenced by that group and that group influenced that group. And it goes, and it, it's just beautiful, man. It's a beautiful part of being a human being in a very diverse country, no matter how we got here. <laughs> We're yeah. here now. Yeah, you know, true, enough. Like, true enough, right? Yeah. And I mean, like the Summer of Soul, like as if Questlove's not one of the coolest people on the planet. Absolutely. Yeah, I had the pleasure of meeting him and playing with them uh, at a at the Grammy party. They played a co couple of my songs and it was great. Mm. Just nice guys. Everybody's, I forgot the guitar player's name of the band, incredible. Yeah. Wow. A great band. A great, a great uh, guy, Questlove. And I'm really happy for him and what he's accomplished. I think we need guys like that who are going back into the vault and documenting and getting really interested in uh, things other than themselves. Yeah, yeah, well said. All right, Xavier, I'm going to wrap it up. One last question for you. It's not really a question. It's more of a story. So I want you to share a near-death story where you're like, holy crap, I could have just, I should have just died now. That's really easy for me. Uh, well, there's one that people really know about and there's one that people don't. So I'm trying to think. Well, hit us with the one you don't like. Maybe the Coles notes are the one everybody knows. Because I don't even know that. And I did a shit ton. Okay, of well, here we go. Here we go. I'll tell you. I'll set this up good. Easy. So I'm in LA. I'm on Interscope. Jimmy Iovine gives me my first record deal. It all goes bad. I'm not happy. I can't get out of the record deal. I go to a party, a Persian Thanksgiving party. I, right, I know. And up in the Hollywood Hills, everybody's partying, doing their thing. And the guitar player I was with, I played with this guy, never made a record without him for 30 years. He goes, let's go. And I was like kind of pissed because I was having my warming up to this beautiful Persian woman and I felt like there was some chemistry and we were going to make some beautiful black Persian love later. Yes. But this guitar player, he ruined all that. And I always remind him of that. And so I was like a little bit pissed. I'm like, all right, man. He's like, let's go hang out on the strip. You know, that means let's go hang out and meet people. I was like, no, I'm good, man. I'm going home. But I just wanted to get rid of him. And I went and I started like, you know, I was a young guy back then. You'd meet a lot of girls. That's what we did. Yeah. So I went, hooked up, met this girl. And I was like, yes. Driving back to my place. I look over at her. She looked over at me. I'm still driving. Next thing I knew, I woke up. Three weeks have passed. And I have a beard the size of Santa Claus. And my nails are very long. So, yeah, I was in a car wreck. And um, I never saw it coming. I didn't even realize it happened. Flipped over all kinds of lanes of traffic. And, yeah, I woke up three weeks later. So I thought, wow, I, I could have died. And I thought about that. I said, if I had died, I would. that's a cool way to die because I, don't, I had no idea what happened. Yeah, so, just dead. There's a near death. You didn't know that one. Now you know. Oh, I didn't know that one. No. <laughs> <laughs> now you know. Crazy, it. Well, you know what? This, this is my. There's too much. It's just I can't even tell my story because of the volume, and it keeps yeah. growing, especially with 
you know, this new one about my ancestry. It's just, oh man, it's more stuff. God. So yeah, I get it. <laughs> Sounds like uh, maybe a, a book in the future. Yep. Like a book. Yeah. Maybe musical. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Dude, thank you again for taking some time here to join us uh, in Vancouver, Canada. You're easy to find online. It's simply just Fantastic Negrito on Facebook and Instagram. It's Music Negrito on Twitter. That's right. White Jesus, Black Problems out on uh, June 3rd. That's right. Film and film and album. Yeah, man. And, and, and that's it. I guess uh, congrats on the Grammy wins, the soon-to-be-released new album. And I appreciate we'll, uh, We'll see you online. Thanks again, Xavier. Absolutely. I hope to get get back out to Vancouver again. Do it. Love to see you live, man. I've been uh, binging your stuff lately. It is fantastic, man. I dig your band a lot. Thank you so much, man. Take care. The Toddcast Podcast. Follow on Instagram and Twitter at Toddcast Podcast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.